Okay, let's start. Uh, hello. We are here again talking about coffee and games and communication. So yeah. today we will we will be talking about uh, coffee, things to eat with coffee, and then we will be talking about communication in a development team, and finally the Doki Doki Literature Club. Oh, yeah. The very disturbing thing we played. Yeah, so at the end there will be spoilers. We will try to rem- remember to tell about that. Yeah. Also, we have stuff to eat here right now, so hopefully there won't be too much eating sounds going yeah. through. Hopefully. So, uh, coffee is pretty big co- part of the culture of many countries, including Finland. And uh, I think the main thing that has been eaten in Finnish coffee culture is pulla, or sweet buns, or cinnamon rolls. Yeah. It goes for... I think Finland specifically, because when you go in Sweden, there's also pulla, but uh, there's also many other sweet things. We don't have pulla here today, but we have... Uh, Lingonberry sticks, we have t- uh, chocolate cookies, we have mud cake, and then we have. Whoa, this. what is this called? This is like, it's called bread cheese in Finnish. Yeah, and uh, we have. It's just cheese, and yeah. it's uh, what is the uh, berry? Uh, um, this I... this sort of orange <laughs> berry. Yeah. Let me just quickly check the word because. Now, this is there is no I... googling happening right now. Yeah, definitely no googling. But uh, apparently, there's no English translation. But its Latin name is Rubus chamaemorus. It's an orange berry that grows in swamps, and uh, it's kind of mix of sour and sweet. And no. uh, the re- one of the reasons we chose chose that for today, or I chose it, was that on Tuesday, sixth uh, of February, it was the National Sami Day. Sami people are the only indigenous people in the Europe area, and uh, they use, uh, they eat these berries with many, many things. In Finnish, yeah. it's called lakka. So that would be the salty thing and yeah, today. Yeah, and usually this, you eat it with this cheese. The last very common, and I've I've eaten it with, like in cake, for example. It can be sweet like that as well. Yeah. So, um, for me specifically, if I were to think about things I usually eat with coffee, it's chocolate, definitely, and by far, I mostly eat chocolate with coffee, because uh, there's uh, two kinds of strong flavors, coffee and chocolate, it's just a match made in heaven. Yeah, they fit really well, and it's, like, the chocolate melts with the coffee, and it, it blends together, it's really nice. Yeah. But uh, I actually don't think there are many salty things you traditionally eat with coffee. I couldn't think of anything. Yeah. Like we talked about before we started recording that we should bring something sweet and something salty to eat. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything salty to eat. Yeah, it's just a bit... Uh... Uh, also, apparently it's called bread cheese, but uh, it's also known as Finnish squeaky cheese. <laughs> yeah, it makes so... a squeaky cho- sound when you bite it. Also, those are cloudberries. Apparently, there is an English word. Okay. Wikipedia just didn't know it. Thank you, Wikipedia. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do eat sandwiches with coffee, and I sometimes have coffee after my food. But uh, for actual salty things, I don't think they go that well with coffee. 
It might be because salt has salty things have this very specific taste, and it's a strong flavor, just like chocolate. But unlike yeah. chocolate, it doesn't go well with coffee. I guess, like, if you think about like food she would eat in like sort of like maybe weddings or something like that in Finland, there there could be something like bread cakes with like salty cakes. Mm-mm. Like you would eat that with coffee, for example, but. I don't. I don't think you would specifically want that with coffee. Yeah. We just drink coffee with anything we eat, basically. So. Yeah. There's, coffee is fuel, not not an enjoyment for many people, in Finnish at least. But. Uh, yeah, I also forgot to clock how when we started, so I I'm not sure how long this will take, but let's try to approximate ten minutes. But yeah, uh, coffee is also a breakfast kind of a drink for many Finnish people, or snack yeah. drink. And uh, if you think about things you eat for breakfast, it's usually yogurt, cereal, uh, berries, smoothies, kind of sweet things. Yeah. And uh, same with snacks. And uh, when you eat lunch, you usually drink something cold. Or if you need something warm than tea. Actually, yeah, actually, I don't like like if like people eat porridge and stuff. Yeah. And uh, like for breakfast, like or yogurt, like you said, I don't really get drinking coffee with those. Yeah. I've never gotten that. Yeah, coffee is kind of like um. Well, in this regard, it's kind of like alcohol because I I feel like uh. Well, certain kinds of alcohol, like aperitifs, those you drink uh, before the food. Uh, You can uh, drink those before the food, but having them with the food would be a bit awkward. Like there are specific drinks for having with the food, like wine, for example. It can complement good food really well. But uh, it feels a bit weird to think about having coffee with food. It's kind of like a you take a break from the work, you are tired, and you just want that slight energy boost from caffeine and sugar. And yeah, yeah. it might be a cultural thing as well. But I think it's also slightly universal, because uh, when I was in Ethiopia, those people always drink their coffee with sugar, like a lot of sugar. So uh, I actually got into quite sweet coffee while I was in there. It was really strong and always had milk and always was very sweet. Yeah. I think same in Denmark when I have visited. If you eat something with coffee, it's sweet cakes. But I think it would be very interesting to hear if if somebody usually eats something sweet with... Uh, something salty with coffee. Yeah, definitely. So how about coffee and alcohol? I mean, there's Irish coffee. You oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I like Irish coffee, for example. I I have some Baileys here actually. But, uh, that well, if you mix it with Baileys, it really you don't taste the alcohol much at all. It pretty much just tastes like coffee. Yeah, same for me. I usually use Baileys or other cream liquor yeah. for coffee to. Well, if I'm in the afternoon and it's kind of a, uh, stopping to work and kind of uh, starting the pre time, but in between those two, it's a uh, good boost of mood and energy yeah. at the same time but i wouldn't drink that for breakfast <laughs> at <laughs> no. least not in finland yeah it's 
I don't I don't wouldn't mix any other alcohol with coffee than like creamy sour liquor. But. Yeah, I think it needs to have milk in it. Yeah. And then it can either replace the milk or offer a complement to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like Baileys, it kind of... Yeah, it goes well with coffee. It's mm. like, it's good. Mm. I think other option would could be like vodka or other really strong, bright drinks. But... Um, I don't know. I think it has to be a certain kind of person who drinks vodka <laughs> instead of cream liquor. Yeah, for, yeah. I, w- I would imagine it tastes more like alcohol than coffee at that point, and uh, that's not something I would go for. Yeah, depends how much you use of the vodka, of course. But <laughs> yeah, it, I guess. But I would imagine the same. As for other countries, I really don't know, but I'm under the impression that. For example, in Israel and Middle East as well, the things you usually have with coffee are sweet. Yeah. But that's uh, I don't have any knowledge about this because I have never visited and I don't know uh, any people closely from those areas. So it's just my... I think, I feel. So if somebody knows I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me at some slash any point. Actually, I was trying to think, like, what, what they would sell at a coffee shop, like maybe like Starbucks or something. Yeah. Usually this sweet stuff. It's like cakes and and stuff like that. I'm making a mess. <laughs> no, it's Jesus never. Christ! Uh, yeah, usually it's like chocolate cakes, I guess, and other yeah. cakes. But well, there there is bread, but uh... yeah, but they are not. I don't think they are complementing the coffee and yeah, they they might be better with tea. But they might be there just to cater to more people. Yeah, yeah, it's more like you can just. Buy it if you're hungry and yeah, not really for the co- or with the coffee yeah necessarily. Yeah, I think that that goes really well. But I also think that uh, some people, for uh, for some people in Finland, uh, black coffee is the breakfast. Like you don't need anything else but the coffee for breakfast. And uh, for me, the more I drink coffee and more I drink good quality coffee, I. Uh, always start to miss something uh, like with it it's just the same that I don't drink alcohol like on its own I yeah. I always need to have food or something else to enjoy with it yeah it is kind of weird to just drink coffee mm. I, I, I don't get like people who drink coffee in the morning and nothing else like on an empty stomach my stomach wouldn't like that yeah That's... same for me it feels like uh I get heartburns if I only drink coffee, and either way, I'm one of those people who put uh, milk in their coffee and sometimes even sugar. No. But uh, if I eat something sweet with the coffee, I can usually drink it without any sweeteners or even without milk. No. So it's kind of complementing the drink. But uh, I think that could be all from the coffee part, so let's talk about communication. So a while ago in January, I was giving a talk about uh, communication within game development team to new production students in Kajaani, Finland. And uh, communication is something that our team has been asked a lot about because I feel that it's it's one of the reasons why our team still exists. Because many teams we have seen kind of get formed and uh, then they also dissolve. 
And yeah. for me, at least, when I look at those teams, I always see that there isn't enough communication every single time. So usually when people ask me how to improve uh, the conditions or uh, culture of their team, I always recommend that please have good communication, talk about things openly and with everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that's definitely the key to having a successful team at all is to like have good communication, and like that's probably the reason why when you when you see people. Are looking for people to hire, like companies looking for people to hire. Yeah, uh, they always look for like they would look for good good guys or like people who fit to the company culture instead yeah. of like necessarily skill or talent. Like obviously you need to be good at the job, but yeah. if if you're like you're you're dick, for example, like you're you're not gonna get hired because communication is just that important. Yeah, for me, uh, since I'm the producer and the team lead of our team. Uh, when I think about who I would hire in the future for our company, I always think, would this person fit into our company culture? Because uh, we talk quite a lot, we communicate quite a lot, and we are pretty uh, direct. And if somebody has an opinion, usually somebody asks, okay, but why? So you need to be ready to give out some arguments to back up. Why would you want to do something in a certain way? And I feel that might not be for everybody. Yet it feels that uh, there's so many benefits in it, especially for us. Uh, I wouldn't be ready to give that give that up. So I would rather take somebody who is maybe not the perfect at their job, but if they were a perfect match for the team, then I think that there would be no problem problems with hiring this person. No. And uh, we could always teach them what they need to know. But if the person who comes there brings about some problems to the actual existing culture then then i think it might be very problematic and probably not worth the skills that they have yeah because if if they don't fit to the culture it's gonna affect everyone's job and everyone's kind of motivation as well if someone someone is kind of not a good fit and that's not really if if they're not that good not not as good as their job but they like don't don't bring down the motivation of everyone else it's gonna be not positive anyways yeah exactly like if i think that i would have a guy who did let's say six hours of good job and two hours of bad job and another guy who did eight hours of good job but if the guy who makes more hours uh brings down everybody else's performance by even one hour that would be already six lost hours. Yeah. So it just just doesn't make it up. And uh, yeah, this of course doesn't mean that uh, nobody can ever question or uh, question our company culture or ask why wouldn't we do this. For example, I was going through our like your and mine uh, old Twitter conversations, yeah. and it was actually you who introduced us to Slack. Yeah. Before yeah. that, we used WhatsApp, and uh, I would never ever dream of going back to WhatsApp now that you have introduced it to us because it has worked so well. But uh, when somebody introduces something new, it's I think it's good to be open, and uh, if there are some valid, uh, solid arguments to why we should do this instead of that, then it's always worth a try. Yeah, like I remember that when I first 
you asked me to come to your team and I was like, well, these are kind of my requirements. I want, I want us to use like Slack because it's good for communication. Like WhatsApp, WhatsApp isn't good (laughs) for team communication. And then I think I asked if you use something like Terra, you did use that already. So then I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's fine. I mean, Mm. I had used those before in some other jobs. So I, yeah, that definitely boosts like, the whole team's product productivity when you can like communicate easily through Slack, for example. Yeah, you need to have good. Or... Yeah, you need to have good tools yeah. for the job. And uh, for me, we didn't have any reason not to use Slack uh, because I could al- already see that okay, this is different, but uh, I don't see anything that could be worse about it. So yeah, and uh, the same when we realized that uh, Trello was no longer uh, uh, enough for us because our projects got so big that we needed to switch over to Hack and Plan. And uh, I probably wouldn't go back to Trello anymore. It's good for small projects, but uh, if I had to use it nowadays, I would make two separate boards, one for artists and one for programmers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that, that was the problem when, when everything is on the same page and you see every artist, every art card and every design card and you have to look for the programming stuff in the middle. Like, it's kind of distracting. Yeah, and then you see the artist cards and they're like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. This is this has nothing to do with my job. It's, it's nice to see what everyone else is working mm. on, but you don't need to see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And Hack and Plan lets you separate those. Mm. But actually, in terms of that, like, like growing, like we have, our Slack has changed quite a lot as well. Like, mm. we have we have way more channels now than we used to have and uh, people have learned to use them better like people actually uh, at the beginning it was kind of like people started talking about random stuff on like project channels for example and but yeah we've learned to use it better and we have more different channels for different purposes like for programming and design and our different projects as well like subcontract and and like our own projects and stuff yeah and our subcontract channel is locked so uh uh, any customer-related information stays in there, yeah. uh, while our own project channel is not locked, so we can have uh, people who are not directly under the contract join there as well to give feedback and such. Yeah. So there is kind of a reason to, to doing things, but um, I think one thing that emphasizes the importance of communication in the games industry and in any uh, introvert-dominated industry, I think, is that making games is kind of a form of art and self-expression. And for many of us who are studying now, the games have been our hobby for quite a long time. I mean, games industry is not the most profitable places to be in. So you probably wouldn't apply there unless games meant something for you. So there's all already this kind of emotional uh, starting situation that you care very much about games and uh, you might have some bad experience with interacting people. Maybe you have been bullied and that's why you started playing games or maybe games have given you something and you want to recreate that feeling. So when somebody tells you that your feature is not good, uh, I feel that it's imperative to keep the communication and conversation civil but uh, that doesn't mean that we couldn't question things and i feel that a person who couldn't take criticism might find our team even quite offensive yeah yeah like how very dare you question yeah that that is probably something 
like at least I could work on it's like when I when I well, well I say things directly for sure like I say if I don't like something I say it mm. but there, there's definitely I, I sometimes say like there's there's some way to say it too directly I I think I like, think so too yeah so where it feels like feels like to the other person it feels like an attack to against them yeah and yeah like you can't go too far with it that it either but yeah yeah, I don't think that. Uh, well, I also consider myself to be very direct, and I al- always, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of uh, pointing out things that don't work, but I always try to do it uh, with respect to the other person's feelings, and yeah. I try to be objective and uh, point out. Well, the thing actually, our other programmer Mar- Markus did yesterday. He said that he would like to talk about in our meeting that our current game is boring. And uh, this is a quite... Um, I would not have worded it like that. But when he came to the meeting, he had very many good points. He had uh, very solid arguments. And most importantly, he had uh, improvement suggestions. Yeah. So instead of coming there and saying, like, like hey, this thing is shit. Uh, he came there like, this doesn't work. And this is why, and this is one suggestion how we could fix it. And actually, now we have fixed pretty much all of those, and it's yes. way more fun now. So. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's actually why I feel that it's important to have the kind of culture where you feel that that you can bring those ideas up. I mean, you can always polish your output. Like uh, our game is boring is not the wording I would use, but. Uh, uh, let's imagine that we would have the kind of culture where nobody wanted to hear those things. Yeah. Then our game would still be boring. And uh, since we are a growing indie company, uh, it would be very, very bad for our future income. Yeah. And for us as, as well, we try to encourage, like, for example, like you said, our programmer Marcus said stuff about our design. Like, we don't want to limit so it in a way so, like... I, as a programmer, cannot comment on art or design because yes. I'm a programmer. Like, of course, I can comment on everything. Yes. Uh, because I understand if games are fun or not as well, and what works. But I might not be <laughs> as as knowledgeable in art as our artists, for example. But they can take my feedback and make what like the most of it with their knowledge. Yeah, indeed. Still. And it, I think it also depends a bit on the people and whether or not you know them. Because, uh, let's say, the kind of feedback I give to uh, you guys, if I went to uh, see some first years and their first project, I would not use the same words as I do with you. Yeah. Uh, because I know you guys, I know what you can take, and I, I can also see if some of the, if one of you has a bad day. So if I see somebody has a bad day... Uh, I will try to word it a bit more carefully, simply because I don't think that the... Somebody might say that uh, people just need to man up and uh, if they have a bad day, they just have to deal with it. But uh, how I personally feel is that if I want to... If I want something to change, if I don't like something, and uh, if I see somebody has a bad day, if I don't take that into accord... Uh, it might be that their motivation for fixing the thing is close to zero. So nobody really benefits from me not being uh, tactful. Yeah, yeah. There's really just no gain other than it w- It might be easier for me in some situations because I don't need to be the bad guy or 
I don't need to be considerate of anyone else's feelings. I could just go and this doesn't work, fix it. But uh, I don't think that's a long-term benefit. Yeah. Also, it doesn't challenge me to grow as a person because uh, receiving and giving feedback also forces you to re-examine yourself. At least for me, all the time. Like, how do I give this feedback? How do I receive this feedback? Is somebody else right? I'm wrong. That happens often. Yeah. And uh, I also feel that those are opportunities for growth and uh, doing better next time. Yeah, and, yeah, receiving feedback is actually another thing. Like, it's easy to it's easy to think that when someone says that something in your work is like wrong or it's not good, that it's easy to kind of take that as, as an attack, I guess, or, or think think like it's it's like your fault somehow. Or, yeah, yeah. In a way, like it's it, you just kind of need to in a way separate yourself from the work. Like they're criticizing your work, not you. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's easy to forget that, but it's it's important. Yeah. Also, one important distinction I think all the team leaders, no matter the industry, but especially in the games industry, could make when they give feedback, is that, uh, uh, for example, me, uh, I see a lot of potential in you all. So what I try to do is that I'm not criticizing anybody's work. But I'm showing you uh, a point where you, I, I feel you could do better. So also uh, kind of encourage the kind of uh, environment where feedback is an opportunity rather than some kind of power display of who's right and who's not. Yeah. For example, it's not very important for me to be right about things. Uh, at least not anymore. Because... Uh, what I usually want to um, want from uh, my opinions is that uh, they are the most efficient ones, that uh, the job keeps rolling onward. And uh, sometimes it means that I'm right because my arguments are the most solid. Sometimes it means that uh, somebody else is right because they had thought of something that I had not considered. And uh, for me at least... It means that there's a lot of growing. Every time somebody points out something that, but Sarah, could we do this instead of that because of X? And I'm like, yeah, that's actually a really great idea. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? And it's kind of, it feels great to be surrounded by smart people because then you go like, oh, darn, now I learned something. And next time I'm definitely doing that. Just like you with Slack. Yeah, yeah it's... And that's good that we have people like you who are willing to improve because it's it can be like the other way where it's like people are kind of they take pride in their own opinion and it's kind of they always want to win an argument I yeah. guess yeah. <laughs> that's not really good yeah you're not you're not going there to win an argument you're going there to find the good solution yeah indeed I, I take pride in my work but I don't take pride in my uh, opinions yeah. opinions are worthless. Uh, it's arguments that matter. Yeah. And that's why numbers are fun. We are currently implementing statistic uh, system to our game so that when we test our game, we can get statistics from the players. Like, uh, when do they stop playing and uh, at what point does the character die? At what point does the character, uh, the game end? And 
those kind of things uh, help us improve the game and think about, okay, so everybody dies at the 1 minute 30 second mark. Maybe we should p- put uh, some kind of boost in here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of like nobody needs to argue against that because we see that, hey, everybody dies in here. Uh, we need to do something about it. Yeah. And then the question is just, okay, what should be done? And I feel that at that point there are no bad suggestions. Uh, even if we don't pick the op- optimal solution, we have picked one solution, which we can improve on later. The only bad decision really is just not making a decision. Yeah, and it might not be like, it It could be the other way that the game lasts too long. Like, we want, say we want the average session length to be like two minutes and mm. then we look at it and it's like everyone's playing for five minutes yeah. how can we how can we make them stop earlier because <laughs> yes. we don't want them to burn out on our game yes indeed it's it's weird to think think about it like that but <laughs> that's kind of important as well yeah yeah i think i i don't remember who said it but somebody said that rock stars are very overrated and i i completely and wholeheartedly agree uh i would not want to be a rock star because well, first of all, I don't feel that I have the expertise to be a rock star. But other thing is that I would rather build on something meaningful, uh, either in small scale or large scale, than just have fame and fortune and yeah. everything lavished on me. Because I, I also feel that it might distract me from focusing on what's really important. And I, I feel what's really important is what I do uh, day in, day out. Like, maybe I'll never achieve anything big, but currently I feel that I'm doing pretty okay job day in, day out. And that's that's great for me. Yeah, and if you're having fun now, it's like, <laughs> that's the most important part. Exactly. I think more people should focus on having fun. And, well, I think <laughs> this is a free tip that keeps going around the internet every every now and then but uh, if you wake up every morning or even every monday feeling like i don't want to go to work then it's not the monday's fault if your life sucks yeah so if if at all possible you should try to find ways what you could do differently yeah and definitely sometimes you need to have like say you're trying to get a new job to make your life better like you need to work harder for it and that that period before it might yeah. not be fun but yeah yeah and uh, of course not everybody can just go chasing their dreams right away and well uh, in a way it's same for me like uh it's not really my biggest dream to be an indie company ceo but it's fun currently yeah. uh, i'm surrounded with amazing people we are doing fun projects we are doing useful projects so while I can't currently post, uh, put all of my day hours to, for example, becoming an author or graphic artist, then I don't really see a point in not doing something that's fun, fulfilling, and useful. Yeah. And while the while working with my spare time towards those other dreams. That's kind of interesting <laughs> to be in a game industry because it's kind of kind of like a dream dream industry i guess like yeah. games are people's dreams or can be but for me it, i don't think it ever was well i like games but i don't think i ever had the dream of being a game developer or anything i just kind of 
ended up here because I did things I found interesting at the time and yeah. then I found programming and it was interesting and I came to Guyana and now I'm here and things just happened. Yeah. I think uh it's not a bad thing to say that uh this was not my dream job but I'm doing my best because uh some of you might have played this small indie game called City Skylines yeah. from <laughs> Finland and made by Colossal Order. I think their CEO has nothing to do with games, has no interest in games. Uh, the only thing she is interested in is running a company. And uh, one of the reasons I think we need more, uh, let's say, daytime workers in the games industry is that many big companies, for example, Electric Arts, Electronic Arts, yeah. uh, they outright exploit the passion. Like if you are not willing to crunch all the time and put in overtime all the time, uh, then you are not passionate enough to work in the games industry. That's not true. It's just another industry. Uh, you don't need to work yourself to death to prove that you are passionate enough yeah. about your job. Yeah. So, that was a lengthy topic. Uh, I posted a blog form version of my talk to the new producers to our development blog in January. It's uh, blog.bitingmascot.com if you want to go check it out. Also, Ronnie will be writing the February entry, so you might want to bookmark the blog. It will be about how to explain technical things to non-technical people. Non-technical plebs. Yes, how to explain important stuff to plebs. Yeah. But uh, for now, we will be moving on to talk about Doki Doki Literature Club. And uh, if you have not played the game yet, you might want to pause the podcast and go download it. It's free. And go play it. It only takes four hours if you are very careful and diligent. Even less if you are not. But uh, it's one of... It's one of those things that you just have to experience. Uh, slight warning, though, uh, if you download it from Steam, you will see that uh, in its tags there's psychological horror as one of the tags, so if that kind of stuff makes you squeezy, you might want to see that one, that one out. Yeah. So, Doki Doki. Uh, how to put it? It's a visual novel with some cute girls. <laughs> yeah. Innocent visual novel. Yes, it's about a literature literature club established by this cute girl called Monica. Yes. And uh, there are four girls in there. One of them is Monica, the establisher of the literature club. One of them is Yuri, kind of serious but has a hidden passion towards things. Then there is Natsuki, the uh, run of the Miltsundere girl. And uh, then there's Sayori, your childhood friend. Yeah. And uh, the game starts when you join to the literature club because Sayori wants you to. And uh, one of the mechanics in this game is that you you write poems and uh, show them to other girls to gain their affection. However, and this is where the spoilers start, so if you don't want spoilers, just uh, click the pause button now. You still have the chance. Go do it. Good. And 
all the other people who are still here just want to hear the spoilers. So the game creates this illusion that your choices matter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So the first act of the game is about you writing poems, you trying to woo the girl of your dreams, but uh, it all comes to a very linear point where Sayori confesses to you that she's suffering from depression and uh, also she loves you very much and you need to make a choice on whether or not you want to answer to the her feelings and uh, <laughs> i think was yeah it was at that point i was like yeah you sent me a message <laughs> about thank I, god this game has saved yeah <laughs> I, I just saved you for that because yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, so what what happens is despite your answer, Sayori hangs herself. If you don't answer her feelings, it's about the sadness and if you... Well, I think this is the first important point that this game makes. And it's that you can't heal somebody who has depression. No matter what you do, it's, they still might hang themselves. Yeah. But what's impo- uh, interesting in the game part is that when you see Sayori's body hanging around. Uh, You also see at the top left corner uh, the text that her character file has been deleted by something or someone. And uh, when you reopen the game, uh, your save files are gone. Yeah. And uh, Sayori's picture is missing from the, uh, the title screen and instead it contains a glitched version of Monica. Actually, the save files aren't gone instantly. They're there, and then when you go click at them, it says the file is corrupted, and then it deletes them. Oh. <laughs> so that that was kind of... I, I was still kind of hopeful. So yeah, so I'm just going to load this save, and then I click on it, and then it says file is corrupted, everything is deleted. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is where the second act begins. Uh, the first act began by you walking to the school with Sayori, and second act begins by... Uh, a very glitched sequence about uh, you You think you hear something and then it glitches and no, it was nothing. So Sayori is missing from the game when you restart it. And uh, or all her scenes at the beginning of the second act are very glitched. And uh, she is missing from there. Uh, nobody else seems to have noticed of course, because Mm. it's a game. And the events roll around just the same way as before. Except that uh, it seems that Yuri, the silent, passionate girl, harbors some very strong feelings towards you. And uh, at this point you will start seeing two things. First is glitched scenes. And uh, second is that Yuri has some very, very, very... uh, intense moments towards you and uh, what was the first point of monica in the second act was uh, it when you needed to choose who to spend the weekend with it might have been yeah so there's a scene where you need, you need to choose uh who you want to spend the weekend with uh, is it natsuki or yuri and uh no matter which one you choose it asks you to choose again uh, until uh, Monica comes there and uh, asks you to go with her to the outside of the classroom 
And it's also in that scene, I think, where she says, it feels like you and I are the only real people here. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so I think you already have gotten an impression on what kind of game this is. So to uh, cut the rest of the second act short, uh, basically Yuri has this growing, very intense uh, passionate love towards you and she tries to uh, constantly express herself while constantly becoming more and more disturbing as a character. So she becomes borderline, well not even borderline, she becomes really obsessive. Yeah. And uh, at the same time you see a lot of uh, the text appearing in the text box getting censored by something or someone. Yeah, it's there's some glitchy looking characters and and some, sometimes the text is like, it's readable, but it's really glitchy looking. And Yeah, and it often says things like, no, you should just spend time with me. Why are you talking to her? Yeah. And uh, the at this point, it's, it's also revealed in the second act that uh, Yuri has a very unhealthy obsession with knives and uh, cutting. And uh, the climax of the second act is when Yuri finally, fully obsessed and fully in crazy mode, asks you whether or not you will go out with her. Yeah. And uh, if you say no, she stabs herself out of sadness. And if you say yes, she stabs herself because of the excitement. (laughs) And you get to spend a nice weekend with Yuri in the classroom where she stabbed herself. All the while, uh, unreadable... Uh, non-coherent text keeps appearing to the text box. And um, you can't read it, but if you scroll back up and read the text history, you see that it's the game description repeating over and over again. And uh, what happens when Monday comes around is that uh, Natsuki and Monica find you from the classroom and... uh, Monica goes like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be in the script. Yeah. Like and then she goes like, well, I'll just fix it. And you see that both uh, Yuri and Natsuki's character files get deleted. And the next thing you discover is that you are in the in an empty empty room in a space with just Monica. Just Monica. And, uh, yeah, so basically... The big plot twist that you find out about in here is that Monica is this secret mastermind who knows that she's in a game and uh, she realizes that she has full power over everything that happens in the game. So she was the one who deleted the character files, she was the one who drove Yuri to madness and uh, yeah, and she has a very fixated obsession towards you. So, for you, how was it like to be in the void and at the, at the ending? Yeah, and how how did you feel about the game up to this point? Well, for me, it was <laughs> it was interesting because it it was supposed to be, I guess, a horror game mm. or psychological horror. For me, it really didn't affect me too much. I mostly just laughed at it, like throughout. Uh, there was a lot of really funny points, like. When I think Yuri at some some point in the second part, uh, Yuri went in and 
like cut herself in the bathroom yeah. or something, and yeah. then you go into the hallway and talk with her or something, yeah. and then there's a uh, Yuri tries to tell something to you. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Thank God we're finally alone. That's just the two of us. I can tell you this thing." And then there's so- slowly coming this image of Monica fading to the screen, and I just burst out laughing. Yeah. It was it was really funny to me, but um. Up at the ending, I think I, I I haven't I didn't really pick up on the character file deleting thing. I was just I just thought it was part of the game somehow. I didn't really think much of it. So at the ending, I was there quite quite a long time just clicking through Monica's dialogue, nothing really happening. And then I I remembered like right at the beginning when Monica tells tells you something like yeah we're here here alone just the two of us and. It was really hard to hard to do this because I had to like you're using Steam, so I had to tr- go through your Steam files and your local files and delete these files, and <laughs> then it clicked that I have to delete Monica's file to yeah. get the real ending. Yeah. So basically, what you need to do in the void is that you need to delete Monica's character file, and uh, what this triggers is that Monica starts sc- screaming at you. Did you delete my character file? How very dare you! I hate you. And uh, after she's done screaming, she says that, uh, fine, you win. I'll make everything back to normal. And then the game restarts, and uh, everything is just the way it was before, except Monica is the one missing. Yeah. And the game comes to an ending with Sayori, Yuri, and Natsuki, except that uh, Sayori tells you at the very end of the game that, yeah, I know what happened with Monica. Actually, I know everything now. So basically, she became the new consciousness yeah, for that game. Yeah. For me, what happened in the uh, void was that uh, I was already picking up a bit. I find Monica really abusive character. Like when you check out mental abuse checklists on the internet, she checks out pretty much every box. Uh, she belittles people, she doesn't care about them, she is very emotionless as long as she gets what she wants. And uh, I got very <laughs> upset that she deleted Yuri's character file and Natsuki's character file. So when she did, I actually deleted her before we got to the void. <laughs> and on the first time I played it, uh, w- straight when I got to the void, she skipped the whole explaining part and move straight to the screaming part. So I didn't get the explanation on the first time because if you delete her character file before uh, you get to the void, uh, she will start screaming at you right away. Did you delete my character file? I was I I I screamed back at her because I was very upset. And uh, but yeah, then I played it for the second time and. I listened to all of her dialogue because I just wanted to hear some kind of explanation, some kind of justification for her behavior. I wanted to believe that there is an ounce of goodness left in this character and I found nothing. <laughs> so I just deleted her again and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's basically the game because when you restart it after deleting Monica, you discovered that everything is the same as before, except that Sayori is the new mastermind. Yeah. And then I think Monica interferes one last time and says that I was wrong. There are no happy endings to yeah. be found in and here. And then she deletes everything. 
Yes. And then you can't play the game anymore unless you reinstall. Yeah. So that nobody else will get bad endings anymore, yeah. according to Monica. So, this is where the real explaining starts. Oh boy. Yes. Because uh, this is what the game has on superficial level, but it has so many Easter eggs and uh, they all revolve into this uh, project called Project Libertina. If you go to projectlibertina.com, you will find a medical record about things that point out to certain book that Yuri, Yuri has been reading uh, during the uh, game, which is Portrait of Marco. Yeah, yeah, I think that was yeah. So, uh, what should we start up? <laughs> Where do I even begin to explain this? Like, this game has so much more than what happens in the game. I think most of what is in there is hinting that this is just either a prequel or a sequel to something that has already happened or will happen. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, if you haven't seen it, uh, you probably should watch Game Theory's video on, or both, their both videos on this game. It explains it uh, the best, I guess. But yeah, uh, the main main idea is that the characters from this game are actually not from this game. Yeah, they are from another game. Yeah, and that that is what the Project Libertina is. So it's like a, I guess it would be a horror game. Yeah, and uh, basically what uh, Portrait of Marco is about is uh, basically human experiments on people who have uh, superhuman skills. On, for example, controlling other people yeah. and uh, un- unexplainable bloodlust and uh, craziness. And, uh, well, let's start with the character files. Character files have a lot of information in them if you know how to open them. And uh, one of them was a picture, I think. And uh, one of at least one of them was a text file uh, containing a letter from Monica. And uh, the letter explains that uh, she's trying to uh, escape from somewhere and realizes that everybody else has forgotten something that has already happened. I think this might be part of uh, what she means when she tells that it feels like only you and I are real people in here. Because the other characters don't remember. She's the only one who does. And uh, when Monica dies, this memory somehow... gets inherited by Sayori. Yeah. So basically you can... Apparently you can't have two of them at the same time. And uh, yeah, she talks about stuff like it's time to be a hero and get a happy ending and then says 2018, which probably refers to this year. And uh, one of the character files contains the name Project Libertina. And uh, the game theory explains it really well, uh, that probably Monica is the heroine of the game, and uh, who's going to be the antagonist is the Yuri. Yeah, and there's, it's not only in the game, it's also in their, like, I think it was in their store and in their promotional materials where it, like, Yuri kind of, there's some pictures of Yuri where there's this, I think she has some sort of, like, thing on her neck and yes. there's these lines coming out of them yes and they're connected to the other characters yes. also, also as if like she is controlling everyone or something yes and 
Yeah, that's... So I guess this game is only like a really smart marketing gimmick for their upcoming real horror game that they want to sell. Yes, I think so too. And uh, it's actually a pretty brilliant idea if you think about it that way. Like you create a game that seems like it's a cute, cutesy, harmless little vision novel. Quite short, you can play it in a few hours. But... Uh, Below the surface, it's anything but. Yeah. Like, everything in there is so detailed. And uh, as far as augmented reality games goes, this was a pretty good one. For example, if you play the game, uh, do have the game folder all the time visible. Because you will see the character files being deleted, but you will also see that uh, letters from Monica start appearing to the game files. For example, I think after Sayori gets deleted, there's a letter like, uh, it's all your fault, you know. Uh, you spent too much time with her. I had to do something. Uh. And uh, stuff like this keeps appearing uh, all the time. Like, after what happens with Yuri, you get, uh, I think the file name is Have a Happy Weekend or something like that. <laughs> Oh boy. So, like, a lot of interesting things. There are also a lot of uh, below-the-surface content in the poems that they write. I think at one point Natsuki gives you a poem that is just numbers and letters. Yeah. And uh, it gets translated as a manuscript. Yeah, I guess it was some, like, encrypted, like, when they when they put it through some decrypting thing yeah. I can't remember it was like yeah yeah so personally I don't know what the new game will be like I, I have been checking out projectlibertina.com for a while now also reddit has very active threads on this so uh, you will find a lot of speculation in there but yeah, I don't usually play horror games, but I think I might might have to force myself for this one because yeah. uh, Doki Doki got me a bit invested in this world, and uh, I want to know more about the characters and their motives. And uh, yeah, well, I am a game developer after all, so a marketing plan this well done, an augmented reality game this well done, has piqued my interest. Yeah, this is this was like I was so amazed when I realized like this is just their marketing because I was thinking how could this like just give this game for free? Mm. But uh, this is so this is really smart. Yeah, and it really worked because I I would have not played their game probably if I didn't play Doki Doki and well Doki Doki got really viral I guess and now I want to play their new game as well. Yeah. I think it's a good contrast between, like, uh, there's this effect of more than meets the eye Transformers, <laughs> but uh, putting a horror game into the world of, like, really cute and nice uh, high school visual novel dating sim, it's not nothing new, really. But usually they, they don't have the augmented reality aspect, they don't have this many Easter eggs, for people to find out about. Yeah. Like, it feels that there's so so much for the player to uh, discover 
For me personally, I like the kind of entertainment, music, games, books, movies, that uh, both challenge and flatter my intelligence. So I like uh, my content not straightforward. I like it when there is so much I can discover on my own, that I can connect the dots on my own. Yeah. So... While I usually shy away from horror, and uh, well, Doki Doki was not that much of horror, but it did make me a bit squeamish at times. Uh, it was really well done. For that kind of small game, it was really well done, and I think that uh, you can only fully appreciate it and its uh, genius if you find out the augmented reality side of the game. Yeah. Yeah, is there anything else? To add, except the watch game theory, go to Reddit and uh, check out the Project Libitina. <laughs> yeah, be prepared to have Steam recommend visual novels to you for a few weeks <laughs> after you play the game, even though it has nothing to do with visual novels. Yeah. I guess yeah. at this point we don't have anything else to say except that uh, we'll be back next month with another topic and nothing more to say except just Monica. Just Monica.